Welcome to Connections. I'm Mike Tom with Colleen Hood. At the tender age of three, David Lango was labeled incorrigible by the very professionals who were supposed to protect him and look after his well-being. The little boy, of course, that word itself was meaningless, but he would bear the weight of its implications for a lifetime. We'll hear about David's journey coming up today on Connections. David Longdo has written a brand new book. It's called Incourageable. It documents his life story. You have quite the story, um, and we'd like to start from the beginning. Um, just tell us a little bit about the start of your life. Well, it started way back when in, in the old days, uh, 1955, June 5th. And uh, I was born on the Saugeen First Nation in uh, Ontario, southern Ontario. My mom, uh, apparently I have many brothers and sisters, uh, who are quite older than I am. My dad at my birth was 85 years old, um, and that was in June of 55. And in July of the same year, 55, he passed away of natural causes. Uh, so I, I, I don't know him, never saw him, don't have a picture, don't know what he was like. And then, unfortunately, not only had your father passed away, but then there was a horrible accident that involved your mother as well? By a, uh, by a drunk driver on our reserve. Uh, and this is actually my first recall in, in life. This is I remember the accident. I remember being with her. Uh, and I remember the chaos that, that, that uh, ensued moments after that. And that's all I remember. Uh, I go through a peri- many periods in my childhood with these uh, dark times, these losses of memories, blackouts, whatever you want to call them. Uh, due to uh, the the extreme nature of of the experience that I had. Do you remember that time, like bouncing around from home to home? Do you have memories of leaving those houses and going to new ones? I have memories of leaving and going and starting over and different people. I have recollections of faces kind of thing, no names. I have recollection of of some of the homes, yes, and in in my in my uh, autobiography, I, I did my best to draw a picture of one of the bedrooms that I remember living in, hmm. and uh, it was it was wasn't. Uh, I I know this has been recorded, but I want to watch my language. It, it it was nasty. It was that's the best way I can hmm. put it. Uh, my brother and I were abused uh, physically, sexually, emotionally, mentally. Uh, we weren't fed, fed well. There's just the care was not was not there, and uh, uh, and I also want to say on the same note that uh, you know thank you to different families for trying because uh, I don't know if they knew exactly what they were signing up for when they had me and my brother enter their homes because uh, we we were obviously in a in a, a mess emotionally, mentally, psychologically, you name it. We were, we we were we were probably uh, very difficult children to to uh, to provide care for. So after 18 placements, and and uh, uh, we were deemed at that time unplaceable, uh, which means the Ontario government could not find another foster home for us, uh, and, and moved us, uh, housed us in what was called an orphanage uh, in around Walkerton, Ontario. I found this all out later, and I, I believe Walkerton's but maybe about half an hour, 45 minutes from my, my reserve. Um from that time, I, I didn't see any family, didn't have any contact with family, uh, didn't know where my family was. Uh, uh, we were in an orphanage for about six months uh, with about 60, 65 other homeless children, and I believe most of them were Aboriginal, and I have vivid memories of, uh, of this orphanage. Um, I have vivid memories of the abuse, and I have vivid memories of, uh, of not just abuse at the 
hands of other children older than I am, but uh, active caregivers as well. And uh, and I think that's where, uh, at some point during that year and going into the orphanage, we were, we were deemed incorrigible uh, on our file, which is which became the, the the name of the title of my book. Uh, and meaning, like I had to look this all up as an older boy because I didn't yeah. understand half of the stuff they were saying. And uh, and when I when I looked it up, I, I remember reading something like uh, "fixed in a bad way, unchangeable." Uh, 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 cannot be reformed. Da, da, da. Basically, uh, no hope. They say exactly. So, what did that feel like when you read that and you realize, oh, people have labeled me as hopeless? Uh, I, I couldn't understand how someone, myself, or anybody, uh, could be uh, perceived as being uh, hopeless and un, 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 uh, unable to reform or unable to uh, attach, unable to to live in this world because of their their uh, condition. Uh, I was that child they were talking about, and uh, uh, I didn't know that at the time. But being uh, being uh, labeled incorrigible and in a foster home or in an orphanage, the, the hopes are, are even worse because no one's going to take us in. Um, uh, and we were, I was kind of destined to thinking I was going to stay there until I died. And even at the age of four, I had thoughts of that. So basically, at age four, we were not in an orphanage. My brother and I, and uh, and uh, a French Canadian family, the Languedocs, uh, were residing in Toronto at this time. And I found out years later that they went through a, a, a very uh, traumatic experience that particular summer, my fourth summer, uh, and they lost uh, a biological son in a drowning, drowning accident. Uh, and of course, this mom and dad and the, and the older child were, were just were just you know devastated by this. Uh, but during that period of time, during the summer and in, into the early fall, they made the decision to adopt one native child. How did they find you? This is when I was told this. Uh, I, I, I said you, you have to. I said to this person, I said, please explain how you found me in there because there are so many of us there uh, that. Uh, I don't know how you would have... What are the odds? Well, the odds right now, I understand, are 65 to 1. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, they seem insurmountable. Uh, that, they, that I would be there, they would come there, total strangers, and find me and my brother. And I said, can you tell me how that happened? Because I have memories of, of that orphanage, but I don't, I, don't, I don't remember much you know, much of it. And this lady said, well, I came to the orphanage with my husband and... And we met this lady that was, the, I guess, the manager of the orphanage. And uh, and she said, we have an appointment to, to view children. We're, we're interested in adopting them, uh, one native child. They said, oh, okay, native child. And apparently from this discussion, the, 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 the lady told me that this manager was not a polite, easygoing <laughs> individual. She was older, she was gruffy, she, she really sounded mean, and, uh, and, uh, and, and they said, well, you want two native child? Okay, well, one native child, we've got lots here. And she's flipping through this binder, and this lady started, this manager started flipping through it like it was a catalog going, no, no, you don't want this, oh, this one's a little older, no, these two, they're incorrigible. And, and she went on, and, and the mom stopped and said, what did you say? And she said, oh, she flipped back, and she goes, you don't want these two, they're incorrigible. There's no hope for them. They're beyond help. And she and, and she looked at that. She stared that woman down, uh, uh, and I could see this woman doing this. She stared that woman down and said, no child is incorrigible. I said, I want you to bring both those boys to us right now. So the 
Yeah, the name Incorrigible has so much to it for me. So the family adopted you and yep. uh, took you in, and years later yep. you've written this book now called Incorrigible. Why did you That's decide it. to go with that title and and make it such a prominent piece of telling your story? The, the, because the term Incorrigible has, was applied to me to begin with, but it has uh, been applied to others. I'm not the only one that was, I, I think, labeled incorrigible. Uh, it, it stands out as a as a meaning for why I could not be placed, why I could not find a family, but why I got adopted. So it connects everything huh. to to where where I was, who I was, where I went, and how I where I ended up in in the in in the Toronto with this new family. And they were the most incredible family uh, I had ever met. And to this day, I still stand behind that statement. My brother and I were probably the most lucky Aboriginal children Mm -hmm. in that time. So this family takes you in, but there's so much trauma and heartache and stuff. And like you say, the most amazing family ever. But I'm guessing probably the healing didn't just come because you got adopted, right? No, not long, long, long over. And uh, there's so much to, to go through. And... Unfortunately, at the time, adoptions were closed. This was a private adoption. Unfortunately, at the time, we could not trace any information. We were too young, obviously. Uh, but unfortunately, at the time, our parents uh, did not share that with us, too. Uh, it was a subject that was kind of taboo. We were their children. We we're now long those da 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 But life does go on, and so does the so does uh, all the experience that comes up to that point. So yeah. I had misery throughout uh, the elementary schools right up to grade uh, eight, grade eight in, in Ontario and Toronto, meaning that I could not function in those classrooms. I was behind in everything. I was felt out of place. Every person I knew was non-native. My neighbors were all non-native. I was in a totally different world, uh, and I could not piece together how why this this was this way. On the other hand, I, I love my family. I love love the neighborhood, love the community. So it was a real mixed bag of things because I was still going through a lot of stuff emotionally about the, the, all the experiences, and none of that was touched on uh, during my time there. Hence, you know, around age twelve, I I, uh, I I jumped into a world of alcohol and drug abuse, and 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 overnight became. Uh, and I want people to know this: that overnight I became addicted to these these substances. I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't get it, it often enough. Uh, whatever I tried, I want more of. And I I had this problem that developed overnight because of the issues that I was not dealing with. Uh, the, the drugs and alcohol provided an escape. It helped me to feel relaxed. It helped me to kind of function and be funny and do all these things that I wanted to do as a normal human boy, but was unable to without the substances. One of the things that really led you down that road, too, is your adopted dad passed away early on as well, correct? That's correct. At age eight, uh, uh, we experienced uh, the loss of uh, Michael, our, our, our adopted dad. At that point in time, in 63, it was November, he, uh, he was traveling to and from uh, work and, uh, and, the, and the way for, for extended times. Uh, with the, He was an engineer, a chemical engineer. Uh, and in November of that year, his plane went down just outside of Montreal. And, and uh, we all found out the next morning. And uh, it, was, it was probably up until that point the most devastating thing I, I felt uh, at that time because I was in a world that I was starting to build trust in. I was with a family that I was really starting to love and become connected with. And uh, 
and losing that just just it, it ended my world. I gave up, and uh, I made I made some promises at age eight that I kept for many years until I was almost twenty eight that uh, that I wasn't gonna gonna trust anybody in this world, and I was gonna go out to hurt before I got hurt again. David Langdo's life journey was one filled with trauma, abuse, and addiction. But it also became a life filled with hope, recovery, and healing. Tomorrow we'll continue David's story with part two. We'll talk to you then on Connections.